All right, guys. Uh, so a little short break, stretch. If you need to stand, if you need to walk around, if you need to lay down, uh, you know, if you need to do calisthenics in the back, for those of you who know what that is, you're probably, you probably grew up in the 80s. Um, if you need to do that, uh, you can do that in the back. Feel free. I'm not offended if you get up and walk out of the room, take a bathroom break, do whatever you need to do, okay? Um, we're we're going to be here all day, so uh, I understand that can be difficult uh, to sit. I've, I've, I'm a trained sitter, um, so I, I, I don't know, I don't, I, I sit very effectively uh, for very, very long periods of time. Uh, so yeah, I, I sometimes don't know what other people's level of tolerance is for that kind of thing. Um, so we're going we're gonna to jump into our, our next session here. Uh, this class is an introduction to uh, what Dallas Willard refers to as the golden triangle of spiritual transformation. Um, it's just a, it's a, a way of conceiving of spiritual life, spiritual growth and development. Uh, it's a way that I think it's easily memorable so that when we're trying to recall some of the stuff we're talking about today, we can have kind of a, a picture in our heads of what it looks like to, to grow and what are some of the dynamics and aspects of what it means to grow. You know, the New Testament describes a process behind our putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you know that language. Um, it's used in Colossians and other places, this idea that we're putting on Jesus. Um, and it's the, the language of, of getting dressed. You know, when it talks about taking off, it's, it's about taking off the sin and putting on Jesus. And we're, we're literally, we're robing ourselves in the ways of, of Jesus. And so there's actually a, a process that's described in the New Testament about how we go about dressing ourselves in Christ. And also some of the ways that within this process, we're, we're being dressed as well. It's not simply up to us and to our efforts. Uh, so there's, there's a work going on here. And that's what, fundamentally, that's what, the, uh, what we're going to look at as we look at the golden triangle of spiritual transformation. Um, so we're going to cover the three sides of, of the triangle um, today. So as we think about this golden triangle of spiritual transformation, I want for us to consider, um, is it possible to be like Jesus? And I, I, I don't know how that question hits you, but, but for me, it's a question that it challenges me. Because I, I think I'm supposed to be able to be like Jesus, but in my real life experience, it seems like it doesn't always work out. It seems like sometimes it works out, and a lot of times it doesn't seem to, to work out for me to be like Jesus. I feel the call, I feel the challenge to, to be like Jesus, but sometimes I feel like the, the actual results of my activities don't amount to me truly becoming like him. And so I hope that through our, our time today and through the sermon tomorrow, through all of the, all of the teaching we're doing this weekend, that, that we can start to maybe learn some of the aspects of what it, what it will actually take for us to, uh, to put on uh, the Lord Jesus. You know, and his disciples, like literally his students or his apprentices, it's our goal to learn, learn to be like him. Uh, we begin by trusting him, and that's kind of like what that, that first class was and what last night was about. It's about getting to the place where we, with confidence and security, know he's somebody we can trust. 
Simply trust him, respect him, and be in a position to lean in to what Jesus has to offer us. So that's what we're going to uh, we're going to look at now. Jesus was concerned to pass on to his followers heaven's rule, life in the kingdom. He wanted to offer them a, a way of life, not just a transaction. He wanted to hand down to them the, the tools that they needed to be able to, after he was gone, carry on the work that he did. I think it's really fascinating when you think about what the apostles did and what the, the followers of Jesus in these diverse communities all around the Mediterranean did after he was gone. Because Jesus promised that, that his followers would see even greater things than they saw in his ministry. And if you think about, if you think about it, that's really literally what happened. You had all of these followers of Jesus doing everything to embody his character in their lives, and then they went around and represented him wherever they went. And they spread his, his message to the corner, all corners of the world. That ministry spread from Israel, which is located in the Middle East, on the Mediterranean Sea, in the first century. That, that message moved all the way from there with no technology, with no internet, with, at the, t at the moment, at, at, at the time of his ministry, with no written record of what he was doing, with very little means, with just the money that they collected along the way. That, that, that was their ministry. That little ministry spread to Eau Claire, Wisconsin in 2018. Think about that. And, and, I, and, I, and I, I believe the essence of what we're talking about in this message, in this, in this series of classes, is that's what this is. This is about the spread of the gospel. This is about, it is about evangelization of the world. But, but maybe it's just a different way of thinking about how that evangelization is going to take place. It's little Jesus is spreading the message of of big Jesus to all corners of the world by, by the means of the witness of their, their, their transformation and their representation of his character, like salt, as Jesus talks about, salt and light. Salt and light. And you're salt in this community. You're light in this community. And the quality and the, the, the substance of that that light and that salt, is based upon your connection with Jesus Christ. It's based upon you being transformed into his likeness. And, and that's the true witness of our evangelization. Sometimes we scratch our heads and we go, man, I, I want for all of my neighbors to know about Jesus. I want them to come. To, I, I've been inviting my neighbors to come to church with me for, for months, and they just won't come. And, and I would say, keep inviting them to church, but probably just have them over to your home and have dinner with them with your family. Or, or just go out and golf with one of them once. And, and we, get a, we got a rousing amen from, from, the, from this section right over here. Amen. Hey, not, yeah, snow golf is uh, not as fun. But, you know, get in, their, get in their presence and just live your life around them enough so that they can see that you're 
actually, truly his apprentice. And most, most reasonable people are going to start scratching their heads and wondering, like, dude, everybody on this job lies. Like, why do you, why do you never lie? What is wrong with you? You, you know what I'm saying? Or, or everybody cuts corners in this way or that way. Or yeah, if you're in high school today, I know my daughters both went through high school and they were in all the honors and AP classes and all that stuff. And like, they said like most of my, most of my fellow students cheat. Like most of them. There's so much pressure on them and like most of them are cheating. And I was like, really? And they're like, man, yeah. And she's like, they're like, it's such a temptation because like everybody is doing it. And then you get your results and you didn't cheat and you didn't do as well as the people that are uh, in your class are cheating. It's frustrating. Now you can understand why that would be frustrating. Um, but, but what is the witness of the student that doesn't cheat? People won't understand it. They'll think it's completely backwards and upside down. But that's the witness of, of the gospel. That's the witness of a transformed life. So as we live under the governance of heaven, we're freed and empowered to love God and to love people. Outside the safety and sufficiency of, of the guidance of Jesus, we're too frightened and angry to really love people, though. And, and that's, that's why we have to stick close to him. Because as soon as we drift away from him just enough, what's going to happen is we're not tethered to the thing that brings about all the security that we need to get through it in the first place. And so because, it, because of that, we start reacting out of our own natural means. And what happens when we react out of our natural means? Well, that witness isn't that powerful. That witness is not that compelling. And you, you may take pride in certain aspects of your life and your character and who you've become. And in some regards, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, the thing, the true thing that's really compelling about you is your connection to Jesus. And that's, that's what I, I believe we're, 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 trying to, we're trying to stay connected. Because a lot of the other things that are offered to us out there to, that are a compelling kind of for means of getting along in this world, compared to Jesus, they're, they're just dreary substitutes. You know, whatever it is you want to latch yourself onto in this world and, and get your energy from or get life from or try to get guidance from, it's, it's really, it's a, it's a dreary substitute compared to what Jesus is going to offer you. And uh, so in our world today, I think uh, one challenge might be to consider uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 46, and consider what that has to say to us about living in the kingdom. Let's go ahead and turn there. Matthew 5, verse 46. If I could get somebody to read 5, 46, and 47 for me. Yes, thank you. When, when you hear the pages stop turning or <laughs> clicking. clicking. Yeah. All right. <coughs> if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Hmm. Okay. So we're, we're looking at an example in Scripture of one of the, the standards of, of love that Jesus offers us. He offers us this standard of, of what love really looks like. What, what, what is love? And while we, we can, if we threw that question out there, what is love? We, we might start singing a song, right? <laughs> right? Maybe don't hurt right? Everybody has a song, right, in their head. 
I can't get like Tina Turner out of my head, right? Whoa. Right? What's love got to do with it, got to do with it? I can't sing, but I'm singing anyway. Um, there's lots of ways of thinking about love. But, but Jesus has this compelling vision of love. It, it's, it's quite challenging. It's quite challenging because he invites us. What does he invite us to do? He says, here's, here's what love looks like in, in real time. Love in real time, it looks like you just giving your energy and your all to somebody who is your enemy. Any, you guys got any enemies? Yeah? Got enemies. I, I know you got enemies. Every, you know, everybody has opponents at some level. You know, whether they're fictitious or, or real, right? Um, you, you, might, you might have an adversary of some sort on some, on some level. You compete in a sport, you've got an adversary. You compete in business, you've got, a, you've got an adversary. You, you're, you, you've got people who, for some reason, although you are incredibly loving and wonderful and amazing, they don't like you for some reason, so you don't like them back, right? So... In real time, in, in real life, Jesus is saying, if you really want to follow me, what I want you to do is I want you to love the unlovable. I want you to love people who really don't like you. I want you to, to care for and have the interest and concerns of people who are out to get you. Hum, how does that work? Are you going to do that? Are you just going to naturally do that? Oh, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I am certainly not just going to naturally chum up with somebody who doesn't like me. Not, 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 to, not to even mention somebody who is an outright nemesis. right? Because that's really what Jesus is talking about here. He's not just talking about somebody who like stepped on your toes or cut you off on the highway. He's speaking to his audience about the Roman Empire. Okay? Imagine if a foreign nation came to Eau Claire and... <laughs> can't even imagine it. Can you imagine a, a foreign invader came to Eau Claire and took over your entire city and then basically made you adopt all of their culture and conditions and language and everything? Would you like it? Would you be happy? Probably not. But that's what happened to the Israelites. That's what happened to Jesus' community. That's the world they lived in. And Jesus is telling them, you know how we're going to win this fight? Love. That's how we're going to win this fight. No, we're, we're not. It. Peter, put the sword down. Zealots, stop plotting. I've got, I've got a better plan. I've got a better plan. And, and he instructs them in, in the ways of, of love. Has your heart gone out in generous blessing to someone who has insulted or humiliated you? Can you work without thought of gain for the well-being of someone who openly despises you, maybe has told you to drop dead to your face? Are you enthusiastically pulling for the success of someone competing with you for favor, position, or financial gain? 
You know, we have the, uh, the much-used uh, doormat that says welcome, or w- like welcome friends, right? Welcome. Well, who, do we, who are we really saying welcome to with our welcome mats? Who, 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 are we, who, are we, who are we inviting on into our home? Well, I'm not welcoming just anybody. I'm welcoming people I like. I'm not welcoming people I don't like. Because if somebody comes to my front door that I have a real problem with, I'm going to come out and stand in front of the welcome mat. You ever do that when a solicitor comes to your front door and they are kind of trying to get the foot in the door? You make it evident that they are not welcome, even though your mat right under your feet says welcome. <laughs> and, and, I, and I think, um, if we are honest, this is the posture that we can take in relationships to other people who bother us, who irritate and aggravate us, who have differing opinions than us, who are maybe even out, out to get us in some regards. I think it's hard for us because we think if we, if we choose the path to love our enemies that we're going to be trampled, that we're going to be walked over, that we're going to be abused. But here, here's the very easy model to bring up in all of this. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Was he, was he a, a, a punk? Was he somebody easily to be trampled over and, and disregarded? Certainly not. So he shows us how how to do it. He shows us how to love people in all circumstances. But my question, as I looked at him, and I'm trying to rack my brain for it, like, I see what he's doing, but how? How do you become that kind of person? Because if if you don't become that kind of person, you can grit your teeth when your enemy shows up. You can bite the inside of your lip bloody when your enemy shows up. You can put on a smile when your enemy shows up. But what are you feeling in your heart about them? You're like, I hate you. <laughs> I'm so sad you're here. <laughs> right? And, 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 and it, 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 you know, I'm making fun, but the, the idea that the call of Jesus is, is to well up with generous feelings and attitudes towards enemies. And If you look at what happened to Jesus in his world, that's precisely what turned the world upside down. You know, imagine, just think about it for a second. If somebody, if somebody, if you if you were just really angry and ticked off at somebody and and you had something against them and you just walked up and you just you just slapped them in the face as hard as you could. Just you just teed off and just wow, slapped them. And 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 then they just they just did this. You might slap them again out of rage. And you, you maybe you're just corrupt and you just beat them down in the street. And you don't think twice about it. Because there are people who are without remorse in this world. But what is, what is going to be locked in your brain about what's going on with this human being that didn't just outright retaliate to my attack? And that is, that, is the, that is the subversive ministry of Jesus Christ. He got, he, got into, he got into everybody's head and made them think twice about how their lives were supposed to work. Even to his crucifixion, which he had the power to stop. 
he, he turned the world upside down through those means, through the means of, of genuine love. So we have to learn how to, with discernment and with thoughtfulness and wisdom, love and engage with everybody, whether they're opponents or friends. So the first side of the triangle, this is the, the triangle, and if you want to take a picture of it, you can, or it'll be up here a couple of other times. It's hard to read. Um, if you want, I can send these slides to you. But So the, the three sides of the, the triangle are interaction with the spirit, everyday problems, and spiritual disciplines. So the first side of the triangle that we're going to talk about is everyday problems. Another way of putting that is temptation. So temptation is, so if you're, if you're anything like me, pretty much temptation is just like a regular part of life. Temptation is just something that happens pretty much every day, multiple times a day, without, without, without derivation. It just happens on a regular. So you wake up, you might wake up, experience a temptation. The first thought in your brain might be a temptation, right when you wake up in the morning, without even moving. You walk out your front door, temptation. You get in your car, temptation. You drive to the coffee shop, temptation. You get out of the car, temptation. You, I mean, it's just, and the thing about it, it's just one of those things. It, it just, it doesn't stop. And all the days of your life, if you've lived any amount of time, you know it's not going to stop. So what, what do you do? How do you, how do you deal with this aspect of the triangle of transformation. And I, so I want for us to bring temptation into the field of transformation, not just something that is simply to be avoided or something that's to be just, you know, we grit our teeth just to get through or get away from. Because the problem with that, that mentality about temptation is, I, I got through that one, boom, I stepped in the next minefield. Uh, I got through that, oh, I stepped in. It, it's just, if you have just the mentality of, I just have to grit, grin, like grit, grit my teeth and, and bear it. That's all you're going to be doing for your entire life. You're going to be gritting your teeth and bearing it every day for the next however long you live. Does that sound like fun? It's not fun. And all of, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you've actually experienced the attempt so you understand how, how much of a grind that, that way of, of living can be. So this one aspect of the triangle of transformation is the faithful acceptance of everyday problems. By enduring trials with patience, we can reach an assurance of the fullness of heaven's rule in our lives. And it's simply, it's simply this. You look at temptation as an opportunity to grow. You change your mind about what temptation is doing. In, in uh, James chapter 1, verse uh, 2, so let's go ahead and read James 1, 2 through 4. If you guys want to turn there, you can, or you can just listen. It says in James 1, uh, uh, 2, it says, My brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of any kind, consider it nothing but joy, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. When endurance or patience has been given full play, in the details of our day-to-day -day life, it will make us perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So James here uh, is teaching us, and he certainly learned it from Jesus, that during the more than 
20 years uh, or, or so of, of family life, uh, it's assumed that this is Jesus, the brother of, of, of uh, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, that we, we can't forget that most of Jesus' life was what we today would call blue-collar work. He was a tradesman. He worked under his father. And so Jesus is called a, a carpenter uh, at times in Scripture, but probably he was actually an artisan. So he not only would have worked with wood, but he, he probably like, more than likely would have worked with, with stone as well. So he, he, he and his father would, would, would build stuff together. And that was his profession. That was his, that was his, his life. So for however long, he, you know, probably at the age of 12 or 13, he started working under his father. So from 12 or 13 until he was roughly about 30, what was Jesus doing every day? He was, he was working. So do you think that maybe in the course of those years, Jesus might have run up against a, a client that wasn't appreciative? Do you think that every once in a while, Jesus might have run up against uh, somebody who was trying to pull one over on him? You know, because a lot of the stuff that they built wasn't for, it wasn't, it wasn't all for other Jewish people. You know, some of the cities that they, they built were in mixed communities. So they were engaging with people from every walk of life and doing work for them uh, in, in those conditions. Sometimes we forget Jesus was a human being. He was a human being, flesh and blood. He had a, Jesus himself had a formation. Jesus was a baby. What does that mean? Jesus was an infant. So that means that Jesus had, if they had such a thing, he had dirty diapers that his mother had to clean. Jesus Christ. You see what I'm saying here? He, he, if he stubbed his toe, it would bleed. If he fell, and he would skin his knee, just like you and me. He, would, he was, he was a, a red-blooded human being. So when we think about this, this aspect of his, his personality, his character, and we read what James has to say about embracing all of the different act, activities of life with joy, like face the trials that you experience with joy, maybe, John, maybe James saw this in the life of his brother. And learned it directly from him as he watched his, his brother go through all of the various trials that life uh, sent his way. And I'm assuming, based on James's writing here, that he did the same thing. He practiced this as well. So James saw Jesus practice all the stuff that he preached about in real life while he was doing business with the public. So as we think about temptation, it's, it, think about... Temptation. If you think about temptation as an opportunity to grow and learn, think about how many opportunities you have to grow and learn. <laughs> think about, wow, I don't know about you, but I have lots of opportunities every single day. So rather than embrace, rather than just trying to avoid temptation, yes, avoid it. God teaches us how to avoid it. So if you can't avoid it, obviously, yes, avoid it. But when it's just in your face and you can't avoid it, think about all the ways that could train you to be godly. And, you know, I think for an obvious example of that could be something like sexual lust or anger. Think about if you're somebody who struggles with sexual lust, you struggle with anger, think about all the opportunities you're going to have in a given day to grow spiritually. 
Every time the temptation comes up, this, this is my opportunity. And so that is meant, I believe, to be one side of, of the triangle of transformation. If we can embrace it from that vantage point, we're going to, I think we're, we're going to be in a, in a position to grow and, and see a lot of growth happen uh, in our daily lives. And, and there's practical things that we can do to embrace temptation in this way. And I think some of us, especially if you've been around any length of time, you've probably already learned some of these very practical techniques for how to, to grow under regular temptation. But certainly there are, you know, maybe that can be a part of the question and answer that uh, we have as soon as this session is done. Um, we can maybe talk about some of that, but we'll, we'll move on to the second side of the triangle for now. So the second side of the triangle is uh, the work of the Holy Spirit. So you've got temptations there in your life every day. Then you have the second side of the triangle, which is um, the, the work of the Holy Spirit. So the second side of the triangle is interaction with God's Spirit in and around us. Paul, in Galatians 5, he points out that the Spirit allows us to walk in the Spirit. So this is this all-powerful, creative personality, the promise strengthener that is offered to us in John 14, gently awaits our invitation to him to act upon us, with us, and for us. The presence of the Spirit can always be recognized by the way he moves us toward Jesus, toward, toward what Jesus would do. So I don't know if you've heard people say something like, you know, man, uh, I got this great opportunity to buy this, this, this uh, Porsche, and I believe the Spirit led me to that choice. You know, um, man. Yeah, yeah. so you, you see, there are certain things that it just, uh, when somebody claims the Spirit for certain things, you're like, ah, uh, ah. Uh. I don't know about that. You know, I'm really, I'm not, it doesn't really seem like that's leading me into the life and ministry of Jesus. You know, and sometimes, you know, I, I, I'm very careful not to, to condemn anybody when they're talking about what the Spirit's doing in their life. So sometimes, pe- you know, sometimes we can be uncomfortable with somebody saying, you know what the Spirit told me? Because then if, if you happen to disagree with them, what do you say to them? <laughs> uh, no, the Spirit didn't say that to you. <laughs> right? No, I mean, it's like there's no argument with the Spirit told me. And, and so I, I think we should be mindful of using that language. And, but I, I also don't think we should be afraid of using that language either. I think we have to, uh, we have to just, if somebody is really moving clo- towards God in some way and they're using language that is, is regarding the Spirit guiding them, I think we need to have a general spirit of trust when it, when it comes to that. To, to accept, hey, if this is moving somebody closer to the ministry and life of Jesus in some, in some way, even if it's, it's ve- some very specific thing that you can't see or you don't understand why they're saying what they're saying, but it's clearly something that's moving them closer to Jesus or his ministry, then I, I think we should take a disposition of trust in those conversations. Why? Because how discouraging is it if somebody really is feeling moved closer to the ministry of Jesus and you're like, hmm, I don't know if that's the spirit or not. We'll have to check on that. Who are you, the guru and czar of the spirit? <laughs> no. You, you know, we have to, we have to back off of, of, of judging people in those conditions um, and, and, you know, have a spirit of trust. Unless it's something, obviously, like ridiculous, like, you know, God's led me to buy this mansion because it's going to be for the kingdom, I promise. You know, but nobody ever comes to your house. I mean... 
Um, you know what I'm saying. So we got we to gotta be mindful to help one another when, it's, when it is clearly not in line with, with uh, the work of, of Jesus. All right, let's read John 16, verse 7 through 15. If I could, uh, again, I'm, I'm asking for readers just to kind of save my, my voice for the day. Um, John 16, verse 7, please. Somebody could read that. Yes, thank you. 7 through 15. Thank you. So, what a wonderful thing, right? What a wonderful thing. And I, I think uh, this is a subject matter that we're not well versed in as a community. Um, we, we don't, we, I think the, the spirit can make us a little bit uncomfortable at times. Um, I think we can, it's kind of like Jesus, we know, God we get, but the spirit kind of seems like a mystery. And, and I, had a, I had a professor one time who basically made that exact comment, and he was like, thank God. Why? Because there's a lot of about, uh, stuff about God we really don't have sorted out. And thank, thank God that we haven't put the spirit in a box yet. Um, and I, w- I would strongly uh, affirm uh, that sentiment. Because the, the God is God. God is, God is far beyond what we can even imagine or conceive of. And we can conceive of him, thankfully, for the, the wonder of, of Scripture, but also we can conceive of him because of the wonder of the work of the Spirit. And so we see, we see the gifts of the Spirit laid out in two general ways in, in, in the Bible. Outwardly, life in the Spirit manifests itself in two ways. Uh, that As we witness in Scripture, it's the gifts of the Spirit. And those gifts enable us to perform uh, some specific function, whether it's serving or healing or leadership, uh, administration. Um, you know, we see the Spirit providing people with capabilities that are beyond uh, just natural abilities to do certain works and, and provide certain ministries for the church. So that's, we see that in the gifts of the Spirit. And then the, the, the second area we see that in is in the fruit of the Spirit. And this is in, in some ways in contrast to the gifts. The, the fruits of the Spirit are, uh, give a sure sign of the transformed character. Uh, Galatians 2.20, uh, it says there, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And it's really Christ's spirit who's living in us that guides us into transformation and growth. So the outcome of Christ living within us uh, through the spirit is fruit. And if you've been a Christian any period of time, um, I'm assuming that you've, you've grown in different aspects of your character. You've grown in different aspects of your, your, your life and your capabilities. 
Um, I'm sure that if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you've grown in your love. You've grown in your joy. You've grown in your patience. You've grown in your kindness, right? Now, some of that has to do with the facing the temptation to be impatient and having to figure out how to deal with it. But a bit, another big part of the source of that provision and capability that you have is from the work of the Spirit. God is working in you as you work alongside with Him to, to grow. Amen? For the sake of time, I'm going to just skip the reading of this next text, but um, write it down in your notes, and you can go back and reflect on it as, we, uh, as you review the, uh, the classes. So both the gifts, of the, the, the gifts and the fruit are the result not of the reality of the Spirit's... They're, they're the, the fruit of the reality of the Spirit's presence in our lives. Um, so what brings about our transformation into Christ-like is our direct personal interaction with Christ through the Spirit. So we've got temptations, we've got the Spirit, and then we're going to look at the third side of the triangle, and that is the spiritual disciplines. So when it comes to temptation, are we in control of when it happens? Like we can, maybe there are certain temptations we know, like hey, I can avoid that because if I... If I drive down this road, there's going to be less traffic, so I'll be less tempted to be completely hacked off at everybody I'm driving with, right? So I'm going to take this way because I enjoy going this way, and it's, it, there's less temptation down this way, right? We can, we can do those kind of things, but when it comes to that bombardment of constant temptation that comes at us from all different types of angles, we're really not in control of when, where, and how that's going to happen, right? So there's a lot of submission that's required for us to engage those temptations for growth. Now, what about the Spirit? Are we in control of what the Spirit does and how the Spirit works? No, we're not. So the, these first two sides of the triangle are aspects of spiritual transformation that in, in a lot of regards we're, 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 we're submitting ourselves to. We're submitting ourselves to grow in the midst of temptation. We're submitting ourselves to the work of the Spirit. But when it comes to this third side of the triangle, these, these are, this is, I don't know if you've ever heard the term the locus of control. Um, the, so the idea of locus of control is, you know, like what, what some of the things that make us really anxious in this world are the things we're not in control of. So when you watch the news and you hear about all these horrific things that are going on all around the world that you can't do anything about, those are some of the things that just, oh, they, they make us so anxious and they bother us so much because... In, in, in one regard, they're just things that are outside of our ability to really honestly do anything about for the most part. We might be able to affect change in some small ways, but again, what does that bring us back to? It brings us back to what we're able to actually do within our sphere of, of control. We have a measure of control, um, and that actually, there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. God has given you a range of capabilities, a range of control, to put into practice the things that he's equipped you with, to use your gifts, to use your talents, to employ your experiences, whatever they may be, for his good, right? So, so this third side of the triangle is about what you can do something about. It's about what you the, the tools that are available to you through learning uh, scripture, activities you can engage in that lead you down the road of the path of the ministry of Jesus. So probably the most important thing about 
thinking about spiritual disciplines is we're again centering our attention on Jesus to find out what were the activities in his life that he engaged in that led to him being the kind of person that he was. I know it's strange for us to think about Jesus in this way, uh, to think about him doing, well, if Jesus was just the Son of God come down from heaven in perfect form, what, why would he pray? Why, why, would, why would he fast? Why would he do any of the stuff that he, he did in, in this world? Because I, I believe he was given the limitation of a human body. He was given the limitation of human capacity. And within that realm of understanding his limitations in a, in a human form, he had to engage in the, the same activities that you and I would have to engage in to experience transformation within that kind of condition. And so that's why he's the model for transformation, because he engaged in it himself. Even as a young man, it's clear that he was in the temple courts with the teachers of the law, engaging in learning activities. You see, Jesus was a student. So anything we can imagine Jesus doing to become the kind of person he was, that's what this whole side of the triangle is all about. I think sometimes we, we can get locked into certain practices that we've inherited, and, and I would say probably the, the big ones are prayer and Bible study as spiritual practices. Those are really good things. But if you were to think about spiritual transformation from the standpoint of fitness, and you were to compare it with getting in shape, would you, if you really know, I want to have, have total physical, I want to have full health for my, my body. Would you just run on a treadmill for 30 minutes a day and do nothing else? And like go to Krispy Kreme and eat 12 dozen donuts every day? Dude, I work out, man. I can eat donuts. Right? How's that going to work out for you? And, and, I, and I, I think sometimes we can get into a treadmill mentality as disciples when it comes to spiritual disciplines. You know, did you have your quiet time today? Yeah, I did. But, you know, it was good. But, our, you know, I'm not experiencing transformation. And that's a part of that frustration I think we can end up in as Christians. We're employing the tools that are available to us. We got a hammer. We got a screwdriver. And, man, I'm not creating beautiful works of, of, of art here. Why? Why? Well, there might be some super, super brilliant artist out there who can create art with a hammer and a screwdriver. But most of us are average at best. And what we're going to create with a hammer are probably dent marks and chips. You know, that's, that's the best we're going to get. And, and a lot of times, we, that's, how, that's where we end up spiritually. Uh, because we're just constantly employing these same tools. And, and we're going to go into more depth and, and, and breadth as far as some practices we witness in the life of Jesus in, in the next uh, sessions in the afternoon and try to look more carefully at what some of the, the habits and behaviors that are in Jesus' life uh, so that we can learn everything we possibly can from him about how to live. And he does it. He does it all. Probably the key, uh, the key to all of this is in this, in this is that we are doing our best. Our, our best. We're making our, our, our most strident effort. 
Uh, let's go ahead and look at Second uh, Peter chapter one verse five, and we'll we'll actually I'm gonna with this reading of this passage we're gonna close this session, and then I'm gonna I'm gonna open it up for some question and answer because a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about um, in this particular uh, subject of spiritual disciplines I have a whole other class all on spiritual disciplines. We're gonna talk about what we witness in Jesus' life and character in more depth, so we'll we'll have more time to to get into that. Uh, let's go ahead and read here Second uh, Peter chapter 1. And if I could have, again, somebody read for me. Second Peter 1, 5 through 11. Thank you. Oh, I think. Am I in the wrong? Let me see. Oh, Second Peter. Second, Second Peter. Peter. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh-huh, it's okay. That makes more sense. That's okay. It's like, where, what, what is he? Where is he going with this? <laughs> yeah. Second Peter. One. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control preservation, and to preservation godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive the gifts offered into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay. So we see here uh, a great passage as a kind of a pattern of spiritual formation. It's the work of His divine power in us through the Spirit, um, and He leads us to consider what uh, what are some of the means by which we're going to experience growth. And in in verse five, it starts off by by saying, "Make every effort." to add these various virtues to your life. And um, I find it interesting, if you, if you were to actually read these, there, there, there is some evidence that this is a, a kind of a systematic laying out of how you end up with the ultimate quality of love verse, at the end of verse 7. Um, although that's not very important to what we're trying to accomplish now, but the go- ultimate goal is love, right? The kind of love we talked about earlier. So what does every effort look like? And, and I think that's the question we have to ask ourselves. Sometimes we, we, might, we might be thinking, well, James, you know, I hear your, what you're saying about quiet times, but the truth is I haven't even really made every effort in quiet times. So how do I even know if that works? I would say if you're not making every effort in, in having quiet time, like Bible study and prayer, that's an awesome place to start, to, to just jump in and say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, I'm going to double down, and I'm going to have I'm going to have I'm going to have more prayer time. I'm going to have a better Bible study. I'm going to have more concentrated Bible study. Um, so that might be a good first step in terms of what what to do if you don't feel like the effort is there in your quiet times. But I think every effort results in a lot of different. It, a lot of, there are a lot of different outcomes for every effort. Um, so I I like to think about every effort in 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 terms of athletics, because that's a, just an easy analogy for me to relate to. Um, now, I don't know if everybody's a fan of this movie, Rudy. I mean, even if you hate Notre Dame, you can't hate Rudy. You know, I'm, I, I'm a USC Trojan. I went to school at University of Southern California. Nobody dislikes Notre Dame in this room more than I do. 
okay, that's just the bottom line. And I'm lifting up Rudy. So uh, there, there you go. But what, what, what I find interesting about the example of Rudy is this. This, this person probably made greater efforts than all of his teammates in, in what he was trying to accomplish, right? I mean, he was all out. <laughs> he was all out every single practice. He never let up. And he, he never played a single snap until the very end of his career, and he played for like 30 seconds or something like that. And it was the, that was the pinnacle of his effort as a football player. In, in, in garbage time in a game, in a blowout game, he got to play a few seconds, and he made a tackle or something, right? At least that's what the movie says, and I believe movies. They... <laughs> Right, so scholarly, James. Wow, he got, he got this nailed. Um, but his effort resulted in what might seem like kind of maybe meager, a meager outcome. But if you think about what happened to his life because of his efforts, he went on to become a very well-known motivational speaker. And he lived his life basically motivating people to achieve their dreams. And that was, that was the outcome of his effort. He didn't become an NFL football player, but he came, became a very successful motivational speaker and helped people all over the world, even just now giving me a great analogy for my message. Every effort in somebody else that had more athletic capability, had a more a greater range of, 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 of capabilities, different muscle structure, you know, whatever the case may be. If they put in the same effort Rudy did, they, they would probably go to the NFL, right? But every effort still results in, in, in really good outcomes. And so I want for, to encourage us here as we open it up for question and answer, as we're thinking about spiritual disciplines and putting in the effort to grow, we're not all going to get the same outcomes. We're not going to be able to sit around and compare notes about what you got out of this and what you got out of this, and I should get exactly what you got. Because we are all as different as the fingerprints on the end of our thumb. We're individual human beings with all a diversity of, of skills, of talents, of, of, of upbringing. Of all, all, we're all a mix of all of these very unique and special things that make us human beings. And God loves you right where you're at right now. He is, he is madly in love with you, and he'd do anything for you. And your every effort is going to it might result in something very unique. But what I would say is imagine if we did all put in those efforts, all the cool things that would result, the individual accomplishments and the collective accomplishments that we would see happen in a community like this. It, it would be really, really special because we'd have, we'd have Rudy's, but then we'd also have maybe some other people with different kinds of outcomes that are going to bless us and uh, encourage us. Amen? Amen. So let's go ahead and, and open it up here for questions, answers, responses, um, any, anything. You can stand up. You can do handstands. You can finish Joel's apple, um, whatever, whatever, whatever hits you. So let's, let's go ahead and open it up.